0: I know, that's why I'm embarrassed. If you're 13 and you're willing, I'll do it. She's a whore. I'm one fourth Cherokee. Jimmy's <laughs> getting angry. Kick an ass.
1: Here we go. Here we go indeed. <laughs> Back with another Renaissance episode. Oh. Episode 70, yeah. a.k.a. Gutenberg Part 6, Ray. If,
0: If I may, I know you've expressed the desire to leave behind after you're gone a body of work to help move humankind forward with knowledge in many different areas. And I and I find that admirable. Me, not so much. But I have a feeling that I might end up being immortal for all those little phrases that you put throughout the fucking show. So I just wanted to say thank you.
1: <laughs> One of my sons yesterday was telling me that he read about a project where some AI developers have written some code that can listen to like two minutes of somebody speaking, and then can mimic their voice. Are you firing with 100% me? One hundred percent accuracy. Are you
0: fucking firing
1: you can, me? You can write. You can write a script, right. and it will speak in the voice of that person. Could, could we get that? I was like, get me that. <laughs> get me that script. Right, I need that. I'm doing the work anyway. Yeah, I'll just split it up. Give the light. AI, and yeah. no one will know. I don't know either. And you will complain. <laughs> Cam fired me, and I'll just have the no, script yeah, say in your yeah. voice. No, what? No, I don't know. Sorry, I was drunk when I said that. <laughs> no one, because the only reason I don't fire you now is because I know there'll be an uprising. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason uh-huh. people listen to this show is because they love Thank you.
0: I want to believe. I'm that. the
1: guy yeah. who speaks the facts, right. but they. Yeah. but you know, you're the cute and cuddly I'm the you're, you're the right. You're the Costello to my <laughs> Abbot, basically. Or is it the other way around? You're the Abbot. I don't, I don't know. know. Which was the fat, funny um, one? Yeah. I don't know. Costello. I right? guess.
0: <laughs> Who's on first? Oh, fuck. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Hold on. Uh,
0: I don't know if I'm beloved, but I'm severely tolerated, and I thank you all.
2: I told you that my partner would be here, and here he is. <laughs> Didn't you expect him, did you? Now he always shapes up. Now, why not let the folks themselves ask for something that they like to hear? Right, what would they like to hear? Something different. Now, okay. is there anything special that you would like to hear us do? Baseball. Oh, no! oh, no, no, no. Wait a minute, friends. You don't want to hear that, do you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. we got the props for you here. Well, you came prepared, didn't you? Uh, all set, huh? <laughs> well, this is a must. I guess it's a must. We've got to do it. Well, I'll tell you hey what we'll you. Do. Let me see. It looks all right. Okay, all oh right. So now, we'll pretend. We'll just pretend. No, all right, I'll take it easy with that. We'll just pretend that uh, we're organizing a baseball team here at the retired Actors Hall. And I am the manager. Now... You're going to be the manager of the retired actors' baseball team? Yes. I would like to join the retired actors' baseball team. Oh, you would? And I would like to know some of the guys' names on the team, so if I want to play with them, i know them, and i meet them on the street or in the home here, I can say hello to them. Oh, sure. But you know they give baseball players nowadays very peculiar names. Know, a lot of funny names. You know, like uh, Sticky Fields. Sticky Fields. Uh, Goofy Dan. Boobie Barber, Booby Barber. I know all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see. Now we have on our team. We have who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. The guy's name. That's what I want to find out. The guy's name. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. Now, Abby, you want to be the manager of the baseball team? Yes. You know the guy's names? Well, I should. Well, you tell me the guy's name's on the baseball team. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You ain't saying nothing to me yet. Go ahead and tell me. I'm telling him. You ain't saying nothing yet. Go ahead and tell me. Who's on first, what's on second, I don't know is on third. You know the guy's name's on the baseball team. Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy playing first. Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. Who's on first? What are you asking me for? I don't know. Now, wait a minute. I'm 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 asking you who's on first. That's his name. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. That's it. (laughs) That's his name. You ain't said nothing. I ain't asked you nothing. You did? You know the guy's name on first base? Tell me the guy's name on first base. Who? The guy playing first base. Who is on first, Lou? What are you asking me Um, for? Don't get excited. I'm saying who. I'm asking you a simple question. Who's on first? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who. (laughs) I'm asking you, what's the guy's name on first base? Oh, no. What's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God, Uh, man. Like, seriously. Like, how the fuck (laughs) did they come up with that? (laughs)
0: But I feel a kindred uh, spirit with a connection to them. Maybe we're them reincarnated. Uh, who
1: knows? Anything's possible. Lucas Stillo is the fat okay. one, by the way. Right. Bud Abbott is the tall one. Embarrassed that I'd forgotten that. Um, yeah. For, so for good. you kids out yeah, there, no, no,
0: no. So, yeah, go anyway. out and listen to the rest of it. Oh, yeah.
1: Go listen to the whole yes. thing. It's yes. like 15 minutes long. It just gets crazier and crazier. Yeah. Just, just genius. Anywho, anyway. in 1453. When the Turks took Constantinople, as we explained in some detail on our last episode, Pope Nicky V, oh, Nicky V, Nicky (laughs) 5.0, Five Fingers, who we've talked about, yes, wanted uh, a crusade. He said, Can I have a crusade? (laughs) Some of my predecessors have had crusades. They look like a lot of fun. I need a crusade. And to raise money for the crusade, he authorised the sale of letters of indulgence. Oh, sounds nice. Uh, Indulgences, we've talked about before, but they're religious documents that basically uh, released you from the penalties for your sins. You're going to have a big weekend in Vegas. Yeah lots of cookers <coughs> lots of cookers going on <laughs> coke and hookers as they said in the last episode cookers, cookers are the best. you're probably gonna right. you're probably going to invite a couple of homeless people up to your hotel room and, sure. and uh, torture them and then murder them I have a
2: question
1: um, uh, <laughs> And you go to your you go to your pope yeah. ahead of the weekend and say, Look, "Listen, I'm going to. Well, I think I'm going to need at least five I'm gonna indulgences. <laughs> I'm going to get crazy. <laughs> I'm going to fucking get crazy. It's going to be a crazy a, weekend. Could you just give me five? It's a podcast <laughs>
0: conference, and you know how those people are. Oh my god. Oh my
1: god. Yeah. Uh, or Hey, Napoleon conference oh. are the worst. I Man, that's where <laughs> Markham and I both of our wives. Um, yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Anyways, <laughs> I was at the gym with Hunter last night, and uh, he was going to do some crunches. And he said, "Give me, give me one of those medicine balls." Right. And I said, "This one." He goes, "No, nah, no, nah, yeah, um, big one. Get me." Uh, he said, "Give me, give me, give me the, give me the hard one on the bottom." <laughs> I said, uh, "Hey, that's what Ray said to me in Vegas." And he goes, "Oh, Dad, <laughs> fucking hell!" Why do you make gay jokes with your son? That's not right. <laughs> Sorry, I thought, thought I was on a podcast.
0: <laughs> Where's the microphone? Where's the microphone? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so the podcast. So the money, uh, the money raised from selling indulgences would be used to pay for mercenaries yeah. to go to the defence of Cyprus. Right. Thousands and thousands of identically worded <laughs> letters needed to be produced for the fundraising drive basically say... Uh, I, the Pope, on behalf of my May Jesus, basically (laughs) say you can you can kill, murder, rape, uh, have sex with children, bestiality. uh, You know, do all the drugs in the world. You basically you you basically hunt arrest Thompson (laughs) uh, with a boot full of drugs. It's all good. You complete complete get out of jail free card. And if you're going to handwrite all of these, they're going to take you forever. So he needed to turn to. The man with the plan, yeah. who happened to be JoJo G. Now,
0: again, we're making a lot of jokes here, but the uh, the history of indulgence letters, you know, they've always been for some people in the Catholic Church. They've always been controversial. Obviously, used in the late Middle Ages, but it does go back to an earlier time where you're absolved of your sentence by penance. You know, you sin, you do good works, you fast, you you pray, maybe you go on a pilgrimage, you give. Uh, uh, money to the poor, or you help the church or whatever, so in your afterlife you know there 's less suffering, all that makes sense but But it gets to the point where it gets more specific in the thirteenth century They start giving receipts for donations, money cause again if you, if you 're giving uh, money to the church or to the poor or whatever, and this is what 's called indulgences and that kind of stuff, but the way it 's going to work is. At, at this point, it's obviously very developed and it's very, very sophisticated church agents who are called pardoners, which I would love that job. They sold these. And on this letter, it has a blank space for the partner to put the name of the person and the date of sale, because this is something that's very specific. So the letter explains the purpose of the donation and the name of the holder that's absolved. So of course you have, after you, you bought one of these, you were supposed to, in theory, go to confessional, you know, receive absolution from a priest, that kind of stuff. And I think maybe in time that part of it gets skipped. It's like, yeah, where do I put my money, sign your name, I've got this, I'm good to go. But the point is, this has become a crass thing. But no one's really arguing that over any, anymore. We need thousands of these. We need to raise tons of money because uh, mercenaries cost a lot. This is nothing more than a business transaction, but we can't take 20 years. We need lots of these things, and we need them now.
1: Yeah, the the, the sort of Catholic teaching behind the indulgences is mm-hmm. kind of really interesting. I don't right. want to get lost in it, but please, basically, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church— the The treasury of the church, mm-hmm. which is what you're calling upon when you get an indulgence, <laughs> right, um, is has infinite value.
0: Mm. So
1: uh, basically, Jesus sure. uh, deposited an infinite amount of forgiveness oh, into the church. Here we go. Um, I think he's getting pretty good interest rates. I think he's getting right. like five point two five percent per <laughs> annum, and you know over. Couple of thousand years that, that works. adds up. Yeah, it's like yeah. a snowball, right. you know, and it grows over time. Starts slow, but uh, yeah. it started off as in well, it started off as infinite. Right. You add five point two five percent in perpetuity on top of that. You have shit time a thousand times right. infinity, infinity. Yeah. Uh, uh, infinity forgiveness. So um, yeah, and and this, you know, it's kind of still around. In a way, I think in 1967, Pope Paul VI sort of modified oh, it God. slightly. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that all of these priests and cardinals that have been raping children and getting away with it uh, for the last ah, however many centuries. Right?
0: Hey, rock me up one you of know, those. I just would, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you sign one for me and I'll they sign one just... for you. Deal? High five. Yeah. <laughs> There's like oh, a God.
1: there's just a black market of indulgences right. flowing around. They've got a guy in the Vatican who who gets them in Let's, bulk. It's,
0: I was gonna say at this point it's probably just a stamp. You know, just go. Yeah. Just go.
1: <laughs> it's a it's an iPhone app that they have. <laughs> it's an indulgence. Do you have the iPhone, iPhone you app. have the
0: iPhone at least eight or nine? Oh, you gotta get that you because that way out. you can get the app. Oh, it's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Think, like like fuck. This is genius, though. Seriously, it you is. think about it. it so, is. Catholic Church sets itself up. We are the bastion. We are the right. center of goodness and holiness <laughs> in the world. Which means but we get to judge. Go ahead. We, we we can do all sorts of heinous shit, um, <laughs> but we just give ourselves indulgences. Right. Um, oh my god. Right. We could. Yeah. It's like having a, 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 an. Just like an endless bucket of money, tell me that you can just you know, dip can, into whenever you get yourself in trouble.
0: Can you think of a better business model? Because I can't.
1: Oh, just God, brilliant, man! Imagine <laughs> like putting it putting it into a like modern parlance. Imagine if you had a system set up where you could get anyone off of uh, uh, any criminal charge, right. any criminal charge. Yeah, you just go. You just you, you, they give you a stamp and you're off. Doesn't matter what you do, you, you, you get off. Right. Um. N- nothing. Brilliant. You, you you can't get charged. Limitless. with Limitless. Brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And you sell them. You can sell them for whatever you want. Right.
0: Would you? So feel, the. Uh,
1: so Gutenberg's. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry. Just if, if if those were still around today, would you feel the need to somehow test the limits? It's like, you know, I, you're saying I can be absolved of anything, but let's put that to the test. I don't know. I, I, I just feel like some people might push it to the edge, but those are probably the psychopaths, so it doesn't matter. But I I just feel that some people would yeah. really take advantage of that. You and I would probably do little things here and there, but some people would go balls to the wall crazy because those people still are around in the world, I guess.
1: But the greatest thing about the business model they had was you don't find out whether or not the indulgence worked until after you're dead.
0: <laughs> oh, and it's brilliant! It just keeps getting better and better. Uh, oh, my God.
1: We're going to invent the idea of hell and internal punishment. Then we're going to sell you right. the, the cure for this thing nice. that we just invented. <laughs> that you won't find out whether or not it's true until after you're dead. Um, just the greatest scam of all time. I,
0: I do have to ask you as a marketing person who owns his own company, mm-hmm. if there had never been mm-hmm. indulgences before and suddenly this was something new the church was going to do, how do you present that to the wider public? How would you – I mean because now we're sitting here laughing about it. But if it was something that you had to reintroduce, I mean how in the hell would that even be – how would that even be feasible?
1: Oh well, it's, you just use the Catholic Church's own example. Feel like raping a kid this weekend? Buy one of our Girl, indulgences. This is God's
0: free This is God's plan. I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. The
1: earliest indulgence from Gutenberg's print shop that still survives is dated October twenty second, fourteen fifty four. Nice. It's printed in Latin on one side. It's printed on vellum. Printed in Latin on one side, uh, slightly larger than half a sheet of modern printer paper. So that would be A5, I guess. It's sort of an A5 size, roughly. Right. Mm-hmm. To print it, Gutenberg had to develop a new typeface that was based on the handwriting of official papal Documents and what is this writing called, Ray? Uh,
0: I feel uncomfortable saying this. It's a uh, bastard. <laughs> why would it be called Bastarda? Why would it be called Bastarda? I don't, I know, I get that it well, has curvier th- lines than texture th- and it's easy to read, but come on,
1: why? The pope had lots of illegitimate children, uh, he would give <laughs> he them was... jobs writing his official documents. <laughs> hey, you bastard, <laughs> the, 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 ha- yeah. the handwritings of his bastard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, I do I do get that it's going to be different from textura and it's easier to read. Which you think about it, it makes sense because you know when you commit a sin or whatever, you're going to have to show this to whatever noble in the land or whatever. So you want to make sure everybody knows that you're covered. So yeah, this has got to be uh, relatively easy to read so you can just rock up and put it in someone's face and say you can't do anything. I've got this. So, but again, yeah, he does come up with something new for this because it's got to have the right look.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it, have you seen any examples of Bastarda? Uh I have several
0: bastard children. No, no, I, it's different. Uh, no, I haven't seen <laughs> any. Yet. What was is it? Is it impressive? Is it nice? Is it official looking?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's gothic, so it's mm-hmm. uh, hard on the modern eye, but it's readable. Right. Yeah, okay, it's quite All florally, yeah, right. uh, but easily readable. Not not as not as uh intense. Uh, the lines aren't as thick and, and as oh. straight and as rigid as the uh, black letter. Right. Black Adder. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, it's it's getting it's getting there. It's getting easier on the eyes right. a little bit. Okay. Cool. So uh it wasn't just the indulgences that Gutenberg is basically a commercial printing operation. You know, what right. he so he wasn't just doing books, these big Vanity projects. He was basically a commercial print house, churning out papal bulls, political documents, political pamphlets, that kind of stuff, and these indulgences. So, you know, this is this is a good business that he's got into. The first commercial printer oper- printing operation using, you know, uh, printing and not having scripts sitting there writing stuff right. all day long. Yeah. But this is where Fust and his loan comes in. In 1451, a German cardinal, Nicholas of Cusa, was traveling around Germany and Austria as the papal legate, Mm -hmm. representative of the pope, urging church reform. And one Mm. of the issues that he stressed, not not big reform like uh, let's cut out the Kitty rape just uh you know one of the things he was like listen churches need to have good bibles kind of think that's fundamental (laughs) to what we do (laughs) is you need to have a good bible right an accurate copy of the bible because obviously the handwritten versions a lot of them were like photocopies of photocopies of photocopies a lot of a lot of nonsense in there some of them said, uh, you know, uh, uh, introduced Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker <laughs> and things, right. battles and Ewoks and all these sorts of things started to sneak <laughs> in. And he was like, no, 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 that didn't happen until episode three. Like, you got <laughs> to get this right. Right. And one of the issues that uh, they were facing was that monasteries were under pressure to buy a Bible, and that, but they were expensive, obviously, if you wanted to get a handwritten one. Gutenberg knew that knew that they would uh, you know like to get a cheaper version of a bible right so this sort of kicked off they think the idea of his grand project how can i pr- create a printed accurate beautiful bible
0: mm-hmm.
1: looks as good as a handwritten bible but is less expensive so these churches and monasteries throughout germany can afford to buy one yeah
0: So, again, um, uh, and I think we touched on this last time, so a new print shop is going to be set up in a different location. Um, uh, You know, uh, he probably used the Umbrecht off a large unoccupied house that belonged to a family member. You can stay there. You can work there, that kind of stuff. So, again, this is going to be a massive undertaking because you're right. This could be – this is going to be the thing that puts his name right there on the map, and and it's going to – how can not everybody – respect and love this, if he can do a great, accurate, quick job of making lots of copies of the Bible for all the churches. I mean, how is that not a a propaganda, you know, propaganda win?
1: Yeah. So this is where he gets into the Bible project in full swing. Now, historians don't know the exact manuscript Mm. that he used to plan his printed version of the Bible. The Library of Congress has a manuscript Bible called the Great Bible of Mines. Oh wow! That is very similar, apparently, to the text and layout Road of trip. the Gutenberg Bible. Right. So, so it might be that. Uh, so he must have got his hands on one of these Bibles somewhere. He might have purchased one or borrowed one from a monastery mm. or a church in mines, and then taken it apart page by page. Right. I'm pretty sure that's a sin, but I think then he it just is. bought an indulgence. That he'd, he'd printed an indulgence for this the day before, uh, so it was great. Sign this. He, he, could, yeah. Yeah, he had as many indulgences as he needed. Uh, now, we talked about that he, he developed some new type uh, early on. We talked about the DK script in an earlier episode. He needed to invent a new kind of textura for the Bible, because he needed to compress oh, a lot more information right. onto the pages, it was known as the forty-two line Bible because he needed to had forty-two lines to a page. He had it all designed up. Now this new type that he designed had a lot more variance mm. on the letters and more ligatures, which are the type with two or more letters, than the DK type. Instead of the two hundred and two characters that he had with the DK type. This new Bible type had 290 pieces of type.
0: Wow, yeah. So he's getting more sophisticated. He's getting better at it. And, you know, if he keeps going on like this, obviously the, this, the type is going to get better because he's, he's fine-tuning his original invention.
1: And now that he's figured it out, he yeah. can just knock this shit out pretty oh, yeah. quickly. Oh, new type, Boom. Piece, of sh- piece of fucking cake, <laughs> my friend. Got it all sorted. Yeah, I should do that in a German accent. I've got to salt it sorted. I, I don't know.
2: Jawohl! Yeah, well, I can do the type!
1: <laughs> Why were we yelling? Germans always yell, don't they? Do they? This is just, just, just Hitler. <laughs> the new type still had to be large enough. It had to be about 20 points for because uh, these lectern oh, yeah. Bibles, pulpit Bibles, right? You need to open right. them up. You need to be able to read from it when it's sitting on a lectern and you're standing up. Now, he had to put in huge orders uh, for paper and vellum yeah. to print these things on. Paper was ordered from Italy, carted over the Alps and down the river Rhine to the mines. Right. Rhine on the <laughs> mines. The Rhine in mines falls minesly on the plains. <laughs> So, and getting enough vellum must have been tricky, yeah. but you know you the, can't speed the, that the up. vellum industry was well no, and and they were the the vellum industry as it was at the time was supplying scriptoriums, not printing presses. And scriptoriums oh, obviously produced right. work a lot more slowly than a printing press could, and it took time to raise calves and then kill them and prepare their skins. You couldn't just ramp that up, like you can't just <laughs> double your output of vellum because you you, you need to raise another 10,000 calves. Jeez. So yeah. no one knows exactly how all this happened or when work began. There are some thoughts that Gutenberg may have started casting the type for the Bible around 1450 when the first money started coming in Mm -hmm. because he he went out and did this loan with Fust. Right. We talked about in an earlier episode. No one knows how long it took him to make enough type to begin printing the Bible. But the the guesses are that the printing of the Gutenberg Bible probably got started around 1452 with four teams working simultaneously on four presses. They were going to churn this motherfucker (laughs) out.
0: I don't think you can say that. Yeah. Uh, did you want to go into detail about the process, about the, the, the compositor, that kind of stuff, or just just know that by this time, this guy has definitely worked out all the details because this was his big, this was his magnum opus, and, and this is something he'd been thinking about for quite some time, and he's already had some dry runs, so this guy knows exactly what he wants to do, and I'm sure it was all thought out to the nth degree.
1: Yeah, I think we talked about the compositor okay. and the ink pads and all that kind of stuff in an earlier episode, mm-hmm. but one of the things that... I hadn't really considered apart from or you know I hadn't really considered any of this but apart from having the printing presses and the type and the ink one of the other things you need to do when you're churning this stuff out is you need space to hang these sheets oh. so they can dry after the printing is finished so mm-hmm. he needs a massive workshop yeah just, just with sheets of wet ink paper hanging around everywhere, drying. Yeah, you have to keep order. Uh, keep, yes, keep some sort of order of which page is which and which volume is that. They must have had this, must have had a fairly complicated system for hanging this stuff to to dry and remembering what order it's supposed to be later, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, Apparently, the first uh, version that he started printing, I don't know how we know this, but the first version actually had 40 lines mm. on every page. My, the, the manuscript model, like the Great Bible of Mines, might have had 40 lines. And he printed 150 copies yeah. of the first nine pages. Then he went, mm. then had a look at it yeah. and went, hmm. I think we can. I think we can uh, save on paper. We do better if we can cram a few more lines. Yeah.
0: Now, if I could, real quick, I don't. I don't want to interrupt your flow, but you were saying about you know you didn't think about it before about hanging up all the paper. The one thing I didn't think up was you know I assumed he would print, uh, print page one, page two, page three, whatever, and go in order. But that's not the way they were doing it because they were papers larger papers that were then being folded so it's not page 1 page 2 it's like maybe page 1 and page 5 and then 2 and se- or whatever and then they would have to work all that out i didn't go into the detail of that and if you have it that's great but i didn't but to, again to forget printing press for a second the idea of just thinking about the proper sequence to print this all these pages knowing that you're not just doing it sequentially i mean even that is it pretty amazing? And again, they could not make any mistakes, or the Bible would be out of order, which again is a sin.
1: Yeah, no, he obviously figured out it, it was going to be more efficient, right? If you c- created these like a folio, so you have one page that has, as you say, page one and page ten, right? And then you're going to put the other pages in the middle and then bind them together. That way, That's you incredible. could print the entire book in in half the amount of time. Mm. Yes. Yeah, brilliant um so so the first version that he came out with had 40 lines then he adjusted the spacing between the lines uh, so he had 41 lines right. on a page right. it looked okay so then he trimmed it up a little bit more and squeezed in 42 lines and thought perfect right. perfect no he wasn't you he it was German I don't-
2: 42
0: lines <laughs> is absolutely correct
2: According to the Latin font, "Tu es sunt la fatza kunchalta." Oh my god. Mike.
1: Eh. Anyway, people are like calm the fuck. Come the fuck down, man. Take it slow. You really got to get off the you really got to get off the Adderall, man. It's driving <laughs> me crazy. Um so that's how he came up with 42 lines to the Bible. Now, uh it still had pretty wide margins. And putting that line, that many lines on each page, was more economical. But the savings were only about five percent, so it wasn't going to save him oh. a lot of paper and printing. Right. Maybe he just thought the title lines looked better. At any rate, forty-two lines a page it was, and he had to start all over again. Printing presses got going again. The entire Bible, the Gutenberg Bible, came to 1,282 pages, usually bound in two volumes. Mm -hmm. So if he's printing 180 copies of that, it would require nearly a quarter of a million pulls on a printing press.
0: Now, I'm sure you've seen YouTube videos because I have. I mean, that's to pull that thing once or twice or a few times whatever, but just imagine, I mean, they they probably had to shift that position as well because their arms and back and shoulders uh, would have gotten sore as well. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. And again, it's not hard to do it a couple times, but a quarter of a million times, that's incredible.
1: I read that at a rate of 8 to 16 pages an hour, Six teams, even if they were working full-time seven days a week, it would take them about a year to produce right. 180 copies of the Bible. Right. A year to produce 180
0: copies. It's still better than how long it would take a scribe, you know?
1: Yeah. So that's still yeah, incredible.
0: True. Do you remember the scene in Conan when he starts as a little boy pushing the wheel and then at the end he's pushing yeah. it all by himself and he's massive? That's what these guys yeah. look like. <laughs> and then they would ask him, "What is the what? What was what yeah. the question they asked Conan? What is good what in is the world?
1: <laughs> what is best in the world? To hear the to crush your enemies,
0: <laughs> go ahead.
1: to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of their women."
0: And that's when someone would go, "Um, I think you need to read one of these Bibles because no, that sounds way <laughs> off."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my God. well no that's pretty much the old testament that's pretty much <laughs> the old testament just uh, mass them. genocide yeah. against uh, the rest of the, the flood. Uh, sort of semitic tribes yeah uh, only 48 copies of the Gutenberg Bible survived today 20 of them oh. have all of their printed pages intact
0: Right. Oh. So
1: 500 and something, 60, 70 years later, 20 fully complete copies of the Gutenberg Bible exist. Right. That's still pretty fucking yeah. impressive. considering
0: everything has happened in Europe since that moment. So,
1: yeah. In New York?
0: No, in that, in, in that part of the world, Europe and Germany. I mean, considering oh, everything's right. happened, yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, now, as I think we said in an earlier episode, one of the amazing things about the, the copies that survive is the ink is still deep black. Yes, and the paper and the vellum haven't yellowed or turned brittle. So, so he built those <laughs> motherfuckers to last. So
0: whatever concoction This going to last exactly. until
1: Jesus comes back.
0: <laughs> well. That's a bit of a challenge. But, uh, yeah, so between whatever exact proportions and concoction he came up with, that combined with the animal skins, I mean, that's some sweet work. This, I mean, if you want it done right, hire a German. I've always said that.
1: That's why you married that's one. That's exactly. Yeah. Now, the, right pa- the right-hand margins on the Gutenberg Bible are justified, uh, so they're all lined up nice and neat. This apparently was a new idea that Gutenberg invented. So whenever ah. you're doing justified formatting, you can right. thank... Jojo jo G. Right. He was the guy that came up with the idea to make it look nice and neat. Now, Fust, the the investor yeah. that we talked about in an earlier episode, was the salesman of, of the operation. Gutenberg was doing the printing. Fust was running around and selling these things to churches and monasteries. Right. And as, as we know, after they had their falling out and the court case, the Bibles had nearly all been printed, the first batch of them, Fuss took him to court, Fus won, said, listen, he was supposed to pay back the money a year ago, he hasn't, and he took control of the entire operation. He got the presses, he got the type, he got the premises. And he went into business for himself. It's the oldest story in the books. Dick. And it's actually the oldest story about books as well. (laughs) Gutenberg was forced to pay back the loan a year before the Bible was fully printed. He didn't have the funds, and it was a disaster. Yeah. He didn't have any way of raising that kind of money uh, quickly. So the Bible was, you know, sort of the project was nearly completed. They just had to do more printing, but collecting payment from the ones that he'd printed from the various churches and monasteries was going to take time. And so he got, he got ruined. He got completely wiped out yeah. by Fust's lawsuit. And yeah, as I said in an earlier episode, looking at it on the surface, this looks like a cunning plan on behalf of Fust.
0: Right. It's, yeah, it, fit, it fits just too he's, well together. So yeah.
1: He's the original venture capitalist <laughs> who financed the business and then pulled the pin on the entrepreneur at the last minute and took control of the whole operation. Like, why should I share the profits with this guy I'm going to keep it all for myself. And that is what he did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, we again, there's just so much we don't know, but um, Gutenberg uh, obviously still has some kind of uh, property. He still has some means, even though his dream has been dashed. There's someone else who's got his uh, his uh, presses, and there's obviously no, um, uh, what do you call it, a copyright or patent or anything like that. So this guy can do, go out and do whatever he wants. He can show it to anybody he wants. He can open up second and third shops. He can do whatever he wants. But Gutenberg is not... Even though he's probably emotionally and intellectually devastated, he's not completely financially ruined. Even though he's not going to pay back the money, from what I can tell, he doesn't pay it back. The guy just gets everything. Fuchs just gets everything. But in June of 1457, Gutenberg was a witness to a sale of property, and in order to be a witness to a sale of property. You have to have some property yourself. He probably had some, uh, some land or a house in Elkville. I think that's where his mother's family was at, if I remember. So he does have some place to live, even though he's been ruined. But obviously he's certainly so much lower than he was during the Heights when he was making the Bible. And he was probably having the time of his life.
1: And he had spent his, well, decades of yes. his life inventing this new technology, keeping it a secret... So now, no one would steal it from him. Right. And now somebody's taken the whole thing. And mm. he has no control over it at all. Uh, and after 1455, the two printing houses and mines became separate businesses. So right. Fust took control of the new one, the big oh. one, the Bible one. Right. And uh, apparently... Uh, Gutenberg kept the older one, the smaller one, what remained, because he'd sold off lots of it, but he still had a bit left. So uh, Fust had the the latest technology, more presses, all of that kind of stuff. And in 1457, two years later, the firm of Fust and Schoffer, remember Schoffer was one of Gutenberg's assistants who married Fust's daughter. (laughs) Um, The new firm of Fust and Schoffer issued... One of the most beautifully printed books in the world, it's a collection of psalms and prayers known as The Mind's Psalter. We talked about a few episodes ago, collection mm-hmm. of psalms. Right. Now, Gutenberg had to sell a property. He stopped repaying a loan to a church in Strasbourg. They tried to have him arrested. Yeah. He had to sell the DK type. Oh. And then someone else went into business for themselves and started printing their own version of... ...of his Bible. Right. So one of, the, one of the things that happens here, because of the hard times that Gutenberg has fallen on, printing starts to spread. In 1457, two other printers started operating in Strasbourg, probably former colleagues of Gutenberg's, right. maybe some of his assistants, some of the guys in his workshop, who went off on their own. When his business basically got shut down... They said, okay, well, we know how to do this, and they went to Strasbourg and set up business. The year later, in 1458, King Charles VII of France ordered the director of the French Mint, Nicholas Jensen, to go to Germany to learn Mm. the craft of printing and bring it back to France. So So very, very quickly after this, yeah, after his secret gets ripped out from underneath him, his technology, bad for him... Good for the world, right? Because <laughs> fuck them, fuck it the world. started to. Sp- bread quickly
0: <laughs> right? but again you would wonder if you were reading, uh, again there's so much we don't know about this guy but whatever his psychological makeup is, I mean some people might have given up everything, some people might have committed suicide, some people might have uh, gone into a monastery, whatever but that's not who this guy is and again there's so much we don't know but you have to go by his actions, he doesn't give up, He's, he, um, he focuses, he thinks about what he wants to do and I don't know if this is simply revenge or trying to get back to where he was but in his head, somewhere along the way, he plans on something that's hopefully going to be even bigger than the Bible that does not have his name on it.
1: The Bible doesn't have his name on it, you say? You mean? Yeah, the Bible, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, before we get into that, yeah. one of the things it seems with all of these printers that were setting up their own operations, he helped a lot of them do that. Mm. And the reason being is to stick it to Fust and Schoeffer. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So money, the they, they, yeah. So Muddy the water. Yeah. Well, just create lots of competition right. so they can't be the only you know, the only people in town right. that are making money out of his printing. He basically went out there and said, well, if you're going to steal it from me, I'm going to make sure that many other people do as well. And so right. we're all fucked. <laughs> I'm going to sink us all.
0: <laughs> if he could have set up a website and take you all the,
1: down with me.
0: If he could have set up a website and just put all the plans and blueprints and everything out there, he would have. He did the next best yeah. thing. He showed several different people so they could set up their own. Again, you get back any way you can.
1: So the next project that he did, as you say, was uh, maybe even bigger than the Bible. Uh, It was going to be something far more practical, a reference work. Mm -hmm. The Catholicon, Mm. something that had been compiled in 1286 by Johann Balbus, a Dominican friar from Genoa. It was basically uh, a a guide to Latin grammar and a very detailed dictionary. And... Your clerics and even your lay people who were literate would consult it for all sorts of information. It was basically a, a an encyclopedia, I guess, right. of Latin grammar and dictionary. So again, Gutenberg had to start from scratch, made a whole new set of type. Oh. And the model for the type, he didn't use textura or black letter, but something that was more open and rounded and right. easier to read something that uh, was more based on the sort of handwriting that was coming out of guys like guys like guys like Poggio All oh, right right Poggio were using <laughs> <laughs> in in uh, Florence <laughs> Modern Roman type, so this is called catholicon type oh fancy and if you if you look up examples of catholicon type mm-hmm. uh, you'll see that it's it's much easier to read nice okay. it looks it looks like uh a nice nice quality uh handwriting at the time it's not all i mean it has little bits of flowery fancy stuff in it but it's uh not as fancy right. as the as the uh black letter or um what do we call the other one um Bastada.
0: Texture Bastada. And I imagine because this is like, I don't know, it's his, it is his fourth or fifth different type of type. I mean, you've got to think that he's, being, he's getting really good at it. And so this type is going to be even smaller than before. It's going to be about what we call 12 points today, which allows 66 lines to go on a book. So it's pretty incredible. So the the variety that he could probably bring to this is getting better. The size and the quality and the clarity is still there. So again, I think this guy is and he's probably driven by revenge, who knows, but the point is he's getting really good at this. So a book that was 1,500 pages can now be roughly half of that, 744 pages. But again, what he's going for is practicality, kind of push the fancy oversized letters to to the side. The right edges that you were talking about earlier were not going to be aligned, but it's something that's going to be practical it's going to be easy to read but it's still going to be pleasing to the eye and the point is this is a very needed book and he could pop and he can just um, pump these things out again he's trying to you know i guess bring himself back into the industry of printing books
1: yeah i think the issue about the smaller font is got more to do with the fact that uh this isn't something that's going to be read from a pulpit this is ah, something you're going to sit down right. and read at a desk so you can do so that yeah your eyes will be closer to it, so right. the print can be smaller. Yeah, yeah, but a twelve point is still pretty much the size that is widely used in books as a font, and uh, yeah, he could he could squeeze fifteen hundred pages into manuscript pages into seven hundred and forty four printed pages. That's impressive. Now. This was a this was a pretty big project that he put together. Some historians consider his success in in making this catholicon type as one of his major contributions to the develop of typography. Mm-hmm. He's basically, is inventing the modern book at this stage. Yeah, the Bible, you know, and the Ars Minor were major accomplishments in terms of printing. But here he went he took it to the next level, right He wasn't happy to just do that. Now he invented basically the modern book in terms of the the print size and the format and the readability and all of that kind of stuff man he he just fucking nailed it yeah like he he just got it right we We basically we still use it. haven't changed yeah. books exactly. Yeah. exactly we haven't books fuck me. today. Look exactly the same as... I mean, you know, we, we, we they're not written in Latin. They're right. written in English. Christ. Well, or other languages. But, right. uh, yeah, basically, they're exactly the same as what he put together right. here. So Again, he impressive. Impressive. Oh,
0: yeah. That yeah. was 1460 but, or whatever it was. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so, there you go. Uh, Gutenberg just takes it to the next level. Like, as you said before, like... After everything got ripped away from him, he could have sat in the corner and had a cry. <laughs> right. Uh, and he probably did. But then he picked himself up. Exactly. He said, right, what's next, motherfuckers? <laughs> um, how he ma- where he managed to get the money from and that kind of stuff, right. I'm not sure. But uh, so one of the other things that happened around this time, the early 1460s, we need to talk about too because this also helped the spread of printing. Right. right? There was a war for the role of the archbishop in Mainz. Two archbishops went to war <laughs> with each other. Right. Because, as you know, nothing is sexier <laughs> than Christian on Christian vines. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. So, so there was a, new, um, arch, a newly appointed archbishop of Mainz, Dieter von Eisenberg. So this new appointed uh, archbishop objects to the pope doubling the taxes on his archdiocese, so he refused to pay. Well, the Pope ain't got time for this shit because there's wars going on, there's Turks to kill, there's mercenaries to hire to kill them. So Pope Pius II excommunicates him, you know, he bans him from all the Catholic rituals, and the Pope appoints another person who, sadly, whose name is Adolf II of Nassau. So again, uh, all the princes and the nobles—they have to take sides. Which archbishop are you going to go along with? Everybody chooses a side. They they line up with their troops, and now it's maybe time to, for some good old fashioned violence to see who's going to have the position of the church that you know allows you to control people's control people's lives and rake in a shit ton of money.
1: Yeah. So let's drill down on that a little bit. So yeah, this new archbishop Dieter von Eisenberg. Mm-hmm. Had a falling out with the Pope and the Emperor. The Pope, as you said, was Pope Pius II. The Emperor was Frederick III. Pius II, interesting guy. uh, Mm -hmm. He was the Pope from 1458 to 1464, so only six years. Right. But he wrote his own autobiography called The Commentaries. It's the only autobiography ever to have been written by a reigning Pope. That's fascinating. Cool. It was. He discussed the 12-year-old boys he was having sex with each day and the, the indulgences that he had to use to uh, I get, get out of jail right, for those. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so sometimes he's like, listen, I'm I'm going to have at least six tonight. It's going to be a big night. Uh, just give me six, uh, you know. He had a stamp. He got signed. Bored of signing them. He just had his signature made up as a stamp. Right. A fascinating guy, born to a noble but impoverished family, Uh started off working the fields. Sure. Then went to university, became the secretary to a bishop, was sent on a secret mission to Scotland. Ooh, why? What? Uh, Well, the story is that he was sent over there to uh, sort of tell someone to fight the good fight. I think oh, uh, as, as a, as a Catholic over there. Right. Fathered a couple of children outside of wedlock. No. Wrote an erotic novel, <laughs> the tale of
0: two lovers. Did you say two brothers or two lovers? I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> two lovers. <laughs> lovers. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my God. Eventually did, takes uh, holy orders. Did you read a it? a bishop. Did you read it? No, I didn't. I I didn't read it, no. I'm sorry, go ahead. I will. I will, though. (laughs) I'm sure you will. (laughs) Eventually, becomes a bishop, became the Bishop of Trieste and then the Bishop of Siena, just outside of Florence. Yeah. Manages to get himself elected Pope in 1458. Tried and failed to get a new crusade off the ground. Right. But did motivate... Vlad the Impaler, (laughs) a.k.a. Dracula. Right. To start a war against Mehmed the Conqueror. Who won?
0: I can't see Dracula losing, but he probably did lose. Uh,
1: Well, uh, yeah, I think we've talked about this briefly before, he he did lose in the end, but he killed a shit ton of Turks oh, well. in the process and Good for him. impaled oh, yes. them and all that know. kind of stuff. Right, um, Mehmed the Memmed the Conqueror, Mehmed the Second, guy who took Constantinople. We talked about in our last episode. He uh, ordered Vlad to pay homage to him personally. Um, when Ooh. he did that, Vlad had the Sultan's two envoys captured and impaled. God dang. Yeah, you don't kill the messenger, Vlad. <laughs> no, it's rule number one. Like D back, don't kill the messenger. It's not their fault.
0: <laughs> I'm just a guy. Uh, then in
1: 1462, he attacked the Ottomans, massacred tens of thousands of Turks and Bulgarians, wow. and the Pope said, "That's fucking awesome, dead Muslims. <laughs> I love that. Keep it up. Keep up the good Get work, on. Vlad. Right. Impaling. Love it, Vlad. Impaling Vlad, some you're more my Muslims. Man.
0: Yeah. Jesus."
1: Anyway, back to Dieter von Issenberg. So apparently he bribed a bunch of people to get himself elected archbishop, then refused to go to Mantua, where Pius II was rallying everyone to go on a crusade. So this is a couple of years after the fall of Constantinople. He's like Pope Nicky V had tried to raise a crusade and failed. Now he's having a crack at it um, as well, raising money. People were like, you know what? Every time we raise money for a crusade... You just uh, the popes just uh, seem to get a you know bigger palace yeah. and more rings. Right. You know what? Right. Fuck you! We've had enough <laughs> of this, this crusade bullshit. Um, so Dieter was supposed to go there to get his election confirmed by the pope and to pay him his taste. You know, he had to <laughs> cut, cut the money get wet with my the pope. Beak. Wet my be- yeah. yeah, yeah. He refused to go. Claimed he was too ill and broke. Right and, and, yes, didn't want to pay the, the increase in taxes that you mentioned before. So, as you said, Pius excommunicated communicated him and appointed Adolf of Nassau in his place. So then the two sides go to war. Archbishop Dieter goes to war with Archbishop Adolf, <laughs> and Gutenberg, along with most of the citizens of Minds who had elected... Dieter, seemed to have been on his side during the war. They're like, hey, fuck you. You can't tell us who's our archbishop. We voted for this guy to be the archbishop. He's our archbishop. Yeah. He paid us a lot of money and bribes for us to vote for him. (laughs) Uh, So the least we can do is to uh, stick up for him. (laughs) So various princes and nobles took sides, offered troops to defend the rights of the, the rival archbishops. The country, the town, the families were all split oh. over who was right. Like campaign managers in a modern election, Fust and Schoffer <laughs> went into business printing political pamphlets and broadsides. Right. And, and and they took both sides. Yeah. For this, some you know they would take Adolf's money. They would take Dieter's money. Money, baby. It was the first propaganda war <laughs> in the age of print. You have to admire that. But Gutenberg... Yeah. Exactly. But Gutenberg stayed out of it.
0: Ooh, interesting. Okay. Hopefully that doesn't come to bite him in the ass later because, you know, he could have made some money, but who knows? So in June of 1462, Dieter's troops are defeated. They run back behind the walls of Mainz. But then one night soon after that, supposedly some traitors inside the city help the attackers get in, and Adolf's troops... Occupy the town. And here's the really sad part because we are talking about Christians on Christians here. Normally, citizens would have to swear an allegiance to the new ruler or or archbishop, and that's what you do. You defended someone, he lost, the new guy comes in, you swear your allegiance, you go on with your life because it doesn't matter who's ruling, they're all going to screw you anyway. But this time, Adolf, probably because of his name, decides to kick everybody out. They're not allowed to take any of their possessions. He takes it all for himself, and Guten- the Gutenberghof actually goes to one of Adolf's supporters. So these people who lost, lost everything.
1: Driven from the town, lost everything. So not only did Gutenberg lose everything to Fust, he God. rebuilt, and now he's lost everything <laughs> again. Jesus
0: now he commits suicide, right? No, go ahead.
1: And the annuities that the the oh, patriarchs shit. of the city, like right. Gutenberg, was getting were annulled by Adolf. Oh,
0: that that's like kick in the balls. I'm sorry, but he's been getting that for a very long time.
1: <laughs> well, he picked the wrong side in the little <sighs> archbishop he wore. And yeah, uh, so he lost Gutenberg Hoff and he uh, lost uh, his annuity. Oh man. And he lost his printing presses and his type. Uh, so yet again Fuck. he has been completely fucked over. <laughs> he did manage, however, to carry out the Catholicon type. Ah oh. stuffed it down his stuffed it down his trousers. Card piece. And he said, yeah. What's that in your <laughs> pants? He goes, Oh, I just got a big big pen. <laughs> big peen runs in the Gutenberg family. Good and Peen was our original name. We had to change it because the women could not leave us alone. Yeah, awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so he most likely went to Elpville, uh, where his mother still had some property or property in the family from his mother. Uh, some of his workers may have went with him, but as happened uh, when he lost the legal battle to Fust, some printers left... Mines all together in that area, and they went on the march. So, printing started to spread across Europe as printers that had been caught up in this Archbishop War, among others, basically just set up shop. You know, and it's basic entrepreneurship. They're like, okay, well, where can we go? There's already a couple of printers in our town. Right. Where can we go where there isn't a printer or commercial printer yet, and we'll set ourselves up in business? So, Good old capitalism, yeah. and a bit of a Christian, a bit of Christian on Christian violence, <laughs> helped spread printing even further. It's, it's estimated that in the year fifteen hundred, there were about thirty five thousand separate editions of books. Oh my God! Incunabula, as they were called, right? Thirty five thousand. Incunabula is Latin for swaddling clothes or cradle right. which uh, is used as a term to refer to the earliest stages of anything in the development of anything so these early books that came wow. out of these print shops in the late 1400s are called incunabula nice so this probably means there was like 15 or 20 million books in circulation
2: that's by incredible.
1: The end of, by fifteen hundred by the end of the fourteenth century. That is absolutely uh, yeah, probably you know th- that's that's pretty amazing, right? Yeah, probably more printed books by fifteen hundred than there were handwritten books in the entire world.
0: Which shows you right there the yeah the pace and the speed of with the new books could be turned out all the same, all accurate and all legible and well you know depending on who carved the type i mean that's just that's just something that changes the entire planet it's it's incredible
1: yeah they reckon that by the following century there were between 150,000 and 200,000 separate editions so mm. probably hundreds of millions of books uh were in circulation right. within the next century and wow. and it's like, it's impossible to think about the impact that that had. I mean, we all know about... Uh, uh... <laughs> well, I was... Go- <laughs> I don't know if I'm getting old or it's just a bad morning for me. Martin <laughs> Luther, Right. We all know about, you know, the, the, the Reformation and the impact that... Printed copies of the Bibles had, you know, just as the, you know that they tried to create conclude the Great Schism. Then Catholicism split again with the Protestant movement. But one of the reasons being people could now read the Bible for themselves and go, "Hey, hold on a second. There's nothing about Ewoks and Darth Vader in here. What the fuck have you been <laughs> right. telling me?" Um, right. It's so people got to read it for themselves and. And started to realise that uh, it wasn't exactly as the priests had been telling them, and uh, but that's just one thing. Like the the, the impact of the written word right. around the world in that next hundred years is absolutely incalculable. They should be called inculabula. They should be called incalculabula. <laughs> hey, you like that? I incalculable. Do. I like that because the impact of it is incalculable, and it all started with Joey G sitting around going, I reckon yeah. I could make a few bucks if yeah. I uh, figured out yeah. how, to, how to print things. Yeah. So thank you, Capitalism absolutely
0: and, if, and I can't remember everybody's name that we remember when we were talking early in the renaissance I think it was like Nicholas Nicolai and others who uh, would get books because some book hunters would go out and they would painstakingly copy them over again and they had very good handwriting and, and that was you know inspiration for other kinds of type so the book hunters the humanists and now everything that they've gotten they've copied it's, it eventually gets into the hands of the, printing, of the printers and now there are copies you know all over the place so again this is this printing press came at a perfect time to help the renaissance and uh, later in the reformation so again this is just uh just a double whammy as far as getting word thought ideas good or bad out there you know either with the church against the church against the government whatever against whatever king this is now all this information can now just explode across europe
1: do you think the uh guys working in the scriptorium's unionized and uh <laughs> <when> <laughs> I- fuck this Went on on strike. Well,
0: well, everything we talked about the monastery, do do they even know what was happening? I mean, as far as I can tell, it was almost like a a quasi-prison. Fuck there, just say there, do your prayers, shut up, don't talk, or we'll starve you, or whatever, and copy these books. I mean, I wonder how much... Mm. I think some of them uh, were beaten at times, but the point is how much contact did they have with the outside world how much information were they made aware of what of what was going
1: on around them I'm sure that they did have contact but they, they, you know uh, must have been fascinating the period of time I guess at some point where the monasteries themselves started to go ah why bother well yeah let you know we've got Twenty guys sitting here working day in day out writing these things. Yeah. We can we can buy one, yeah, uh, for like fifty bucks uh, from Gutenberg or one of these printers. Do we really, what? really need these guys? And then that must have transitioned as well. So the the end of the scriptoriums must have slowly faded away, and they started having to figure out different things to do. Basically. What else? Right, you know, let's go find some boys that we can, <laughs> young, young boys that we can have sex with. I don't know. Now it's it's Gutenberg's fault. Broad, if he hadn't invented exact, the printing press. Right, they would have been too right tired there. at the end of the exactly. day to have sex with children. Exactly, it's all his fault. Fucking Gutenberg. Yeah. but no, but in all seriousness, must have been yeah. fascinating the that period of time where this industry that had been around for thousands, thousands. of years. Yeah. People sitting there writing books, not not necessarily in a, in a fully fledged scriptorium like this, but yeah, these but people hand copying books. All of a sudden, that whole skill, that discipline, damn, basically w- made no sense. Over right. literally overnight, yeah, the worthless you know, printing spread so rapidly, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Then they, they started doing porn. I wonder <laughs> when the first porn, printed porn, came out Because porn is it was, it was was always German. one of the first things that people do with new technology on right? German right. porn. <laughs> oh, God. As long as it wasn't Austrian porn, because that would be fucked up. The Austrians are fucked right. up. So Gutenberg is effectively bankrupted for the second time, but Fuck. seems to have retained or restarted a small printing shop Somewhere along the way, he, he got involved in printing a Bible in the town of Bamberg in 1459. He seems to have at least supplied the type for that. But his printed books never carried his name or a date. Wow. So we don't really have any good way of, of knowing what his role was in printing these or when they actually happened. Right. It's also possible that a large Catholicon dictionary printed in Mainz in 1460 was executed in his workshop. Um, meanwhile, the first Fust Schoffer shop in Europe was bringing out their own mines Psalter with their name and date on it. For As we right. mentioned earlier, I think it was 1457 that uh, I think, as I mentioned in an earlier episode, proudly talks about the mechanical process which produced it but made no mention of Gutenberg himself. He got no credit. But he was given some credit... Locally, in in January of 1465, he was forgiven by the Archbishop Adolf, Ray. Oh,
0: all right. Yeah, he gets a letter from Adolf, and he's, yeah, the man who kicked him out. And in the letter, there, there are words like, Our dear, faithful Johannes Gutenberg, which is not technically true, because as far as we know, he either supported the other guy, or to the best of his ability, he stayed neutral. But basically, he was being welcomed back to mines. Further, he would be attending the archbishop's court, even though we don't really have details exactly about what his job was going to be. But it's safe to say that the church was beginning, like a lot of other places, to realize the usefulness of uh, using the press to shape public opinion, because you can just flood the area with pamphlets, books, you know, that kind of stuff. Also, the letter goes on. This is this is like after getting kicked in the nuts twice, this is like the Savior. This is like Jesus trying to save Gutenberg after all the shit he's put him through. So not only is he welcomed back, he's going to be given a job. He's going to be given clothing like that of a nobleman. He's, be going, he's going to be given 60 bushels of grain and 530 gallons of wine all tax-free. This is for him not to sell, but he has to come back and use it and live and, and work in Mainz. He's not going to have to worry about military service. He's not going to have to worry about watch duty. He's not going to have to pay taxes that the other citizens of Mainz pay. This is a godsend from this guy who's been brought low twice. He is now being welcomed back with open arms by the archbishop, and hopefully life is about to get pretty sweet. Whatever he has rest of his life, it should be good times for Gutenberg.
1: Yeah, I think this is all about Adolf consolidating his power in the area mm. by forgiving his enemies and compensating them for their losses yeah. and pulling the Caesar, buying their right. loyalty. Yeah, yeah. so uh, you know uh, Gutenberg, for whatever reason, was considered somebody maybe because he was one of the patriarchs. Uh, Adolf mm. wanted to get them get them back on board. Right. So uh, Gutenberg. Very, very late in life, 1465, finally something goes <laughs> his way. He doesn't get to enjoy it very long, though. Aww. He died early in 1468 when he was in his late 60s or early 70s, was buried in the Franciscan church at Mines, right. and apparently his compu- his contributions to printing were largely unknown at the time. It's not like he was... Famous, celebrated right. at the end of his life for a what he had accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at his funeral, they said, uh, What did he do, this guy? I don't know. Something to do with uh, knocking out some <laughs> indulgences or something. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Whatever. The only surviving notice of his death is a handwritten note in the margin mm. of a book printed years later. It says, AD 1468 on saint blasius's day died the honored master hon Ginsfleisch, the name that he was best known by right. in mines on whom god have mercy that's it that's it and the church and the cemetery were later destroyed and his grave also is now lost oh, my.
0: Would you rather be someone who contributed mightily to society and not be remembered or only be half successful but be loved and missed when you were gone? Just curious. The former. Okay. The former. All right. Well, that's exactly what happened
1: to Gutenberg. Damn. Yeah, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit if any. I don't even give a shit if my kids forget who I (laughs) am. A minute after I'm dead, just Adam's baby, move on, you know? But the reason I want to leave a contribution isn't so people remember me by it. It's just because that's what I feel like I should be doing with my life. The work needs to to be done. Yeah, Yeah. Try to do something useful. Teach the peoples uh, about (laughs) the history and uh, uh, how they shouldn't believe everything they read and hear from American propaganda. Hear, hear. Uh, So he dedicated, just to wrap up, he dedicated decades of his life, to inventing the printed book so that we might get all of our knowledge from them. Right. In 1504, he was mentioned as the inventor of typography in a book written by Professor Ivo Wittig. Wittig? Mm. It wasn't until 1567 that the first portrait of Gutenberg appeared in Heinrich Pantaleon's biography of famous Germans. Wow. The portrait of him is probably entirely imaginary, yeah. but if you look up a portrait of Gutenberg, that's the one you're going to find. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, pretty much invented. So, yeah, he died pretty much uh, unknown. Wow. Uh, no respect Right, uh, for what he had accomplished, but he changed the fucking world. Right, Joe. We Joe, thank you, sir, Gutenberg. Right, a good German. And with that, yeah. we'll be back next time with uh, a different different story. I don't know what. Do you know what we're going to talk about next time? Because I got no idea. No, no clue. <laughs> okay. If you have any ideas, yep. send us an email. Oh. You talking to me? We'll ignore it, but send it anyway. No, it. <laughs> no, you don't have any ideas. Never heard of formula. Spin the wheel,
0: spin the wheel. That's how he gets off. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They're that good. Mm, I would think that would be the opposite of that. What do you fucking want? Just tell me what you fucking want. Yeah, yes, 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 yeah, no, yeah, let's go with that, yeah it is, not to mention a vagina.